Today we are in lesson uh, 13, and we're going to talk about David's exile. Now remember, we're going through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st Chronicles, and we're focusing on the life of David, the days of the king. Now you're probably wondering, okay, George, today's lesson is entitled uh, David's Exile. I thought he was in exile. He's running from Saul. Yes, he's running from Saul, but he stayed within the boundaries of Israel. When you usually leave the boundaries of a country, it's that point you're called, it's basically said that you are in exile. So David is going to go in exile out of Israel. And where does he go? Of course, he goes to the Philistines. So we're going to focus today on chapter 27. There's only 12 verses, but they have a lot of information there in chapter 27. And then chapter 28, which is 1 to 25. And that's where we're going to focus today. So again, we, we don't have enough time to go through all of the passages together. We will refer to some of them as we go along. Uh, but let's go ahead and go through this. Let's look, first of all, at David's exile in Philistia which we see in chapter 27. In particular, David is going to be at a little at a place called Ziglag. So the first part of 27 makes you and I aware that David starts thinking, thinking about what happens. And so David reasoned that at some point Saul would be able to kill him. Now, you and I up to this point are probably wondering, why has it taken you this long to realize that, David? Because, I mean, think about it as we've gone through the story. From the moment that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, he's tried to kill David in his presence at least two different times. Well, two times with a spear the first time before he fled, then again later with a spear, He's chased after David throughout Israel, and he continues on two different occasions to say he's sorry, he knows David's going to be king, and he leaves to go back home. But at this point, finally, David reasons in his heart, you know, at some point, Saul's going to be able to kill me. So he decides, David decides, that if he flees to the land of the Philistines, Saul will give up seeking him. So David and his reasoning and his thinking decides, you know what? If, if I was in the land of the Philistines, Saul would not dare to come after me there. He wouldn't even bother coming there. Well, because that would result in all-out warfare if Israel were to attack Philistia. They're equal kind of opponents at this point in history. So he decides, okay, I'm going to go there and Saul will give up seeking him. So the text then tells us that David, his men, and their families fled to Ictish, the king of Gath. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute now, didn't he do that once before? Yeah, remember? After he went to the priests at Nob, got Goliath's sword and some showbread, the text then tells us that he went to Gath 
And there, because the people were remembering the songs that the Israelites were singing about David killing his ten thousands, he fears for his life and he acts like he has a mental health issue. Finally, to the point that the king says, don't I have enough people with mental health issues? Get him out of here. And so David then leaves Philistia. Yes, that's when he went there before. You say, well, what's the difference this time? Well, the difference is David shows up this time with 600 warriors. Not that the Philistines would be fearful of that, but this time things are going to be a little bit different. He doesn't just show up with 600 warriors. He shows up with 600 warriors and their families, that is, their wives and their kids. So it's a whole community. So at this point, David really is beginning to look like a mercenary. And kingdoms would do that. They would, kings would hire mercenaries to do their bidding. And so that's what David is becoming here. He's becoming a mercenary. He and his men, Israelite mercenaries, because by this point, Ictish would know that David is wanted by Saul. He's an outlaw in his own nation. So Ictish is basically deciding that he needs David. David needs him. It'll be a mutual arrangement. And so David and their families with his men flee to the king of Gath. Now, again, remember what David had reasoned. David said, if I go to the land of the Philistines, Paul, Saul will give up chasing after me. And that's exactly what happens. The text tells us that upon hearing that David had fled to Gath, Saul stopped looking for him. So Saul decides, I'm done. He's gone to the Philistines, and I don't need to seek after him anymore. Because basically, David's no longer a threat to him. David's with the Philistines. Now, the text will tell you that at first... David and his men, with their families, dwelt in the royal city with Ictish until David requested a place to live. And I think it's interesting. If you look at the text itself, it kind of kind of shows you the way that they talked to each other back then. And uh, look at verse 5. David said to Ictish, If I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? You see the language there? He's basically saying, you know, king, if, if I, if I found favor with you, let, let me go somewhere else because you know what? I'm not worthy to be here in the royal city with you. That's the kind of language they were using. Basically, David wants out of the capital city so he can do his own thing, and we'll see that here in a moment. He wants to go somewhere else, in Philistia, somewhere under the authority of the king, but away from the king. So Ichish gave David Ziglag, the community of Ziglag, to live in, and afterward... The, te the writer tells us it belonged to the kings of Judah from that point on. Now, we're going to talk about Ziglag again next week when we get into lesson 14, very important lesson. I'm also going to point out to you next week that there was a significant archaeological find 
that verifies the fact that David, the record of David being there, is true. And I'll talk about that with you next week, just kind of giving you that so that you'll tune in next week as we continue along in our study. So basically, he gives David this town, Ziglag, to live in. And that's where David goes. Now, the text then goes on, the writer goes on and tells us that from Ziglag, David attacked the enemies of Israel as far as Egypt. So any enemy that Israel had, David attacked them. In fact, the scripture goes on and tells us here in verse 8 that David and his men went up and raided the Gersherites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites, for those nations were inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So he's going after some very ancient enemies. And you notice he's mentioning the Amalekites here. They were supposed to be wiped out by Saul, but he didn't do that, remember? So David attacked these enemies as far as Egypt. Now, here's what happens. When he attacked, he killed everyone. He didn't let anyone live, men, women, and children, and took their possessions. So if he was attacking a village of the, or someone who were the Amalekites, he made sure that everyone was dead. We're going to find out why here in a moment. Because you probably are like appalled. Well, this is the culture. This is the way things were then several thousand years ago. And we'll, you'll see why here in a moment. Now, Ikshish, when they... When David would appear before him, which obviously he would, and give a report, when Ictish asked David where he had been raiding, where he was raiding, David reported that he was raiding southern Judah or some of the allies of Judah or Israel. So David is raiding. So here you understand the king understands that David is a mercenary who is out raiding supposed to be raiding the enemies of Philistia, but rather David is raiding the enemies of Israel. So when he goes to give a report to the king, he's basically telling the king, well, you know what, I'm going and attacking the southern part of Judah, I'm attacking the Kenites, he's attacking all of these folks who are allies of Israel. Now do you understand why he can't let anyone live? So, in fact, the text tells us David had everyone killed so that no one could report who David was really attacking. See, when you look at what David is bringing back, and of course he would share it with his benefactor, which would be the king, you would see animals, cattle, sheep, goats. You would see possessions gold, silver, other things, and those would be passed on to the king as well. They don't say Israeli on them. They don't have an Israeli stamp. They, they don't even have a Malachite or Gersherite or Gerzites. Basically, you don't know where the stuff came from because there's nobody alive to tell you that. That's what's going on here. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And so at the last part, I think verse 12, of 1 Samuel 27 tells us what Ichish is thinking. He believed this, he believed the report of David 
because he thought Israel would hate David. In fact, look at what verse 12 says. So Ichish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So he believed David, and in believing David, he thinks that David is no longer going to be accepted by Israel. He become he becomes persona non grata. He becomes public enemy number one. And, he, and believing that, he thinks that this would make David the servant of Ictish forever. This would make David the servant of Ictish forever. Boy, David's got the king fooled, hasn't he? He's got the king fooled. So now we come to chapter 28. And so basically, you and I could take chapter 28. There's really two main sections. Two main sections. You say, two main sections, George. What are you talking about? Well, if you and I were to look at the first two verses, that's one section. And it has to do with the Philistines. And then when we get to verses 3 through 25, the focus shifts then to Saul. You say, well, George, I thought we were dealing with David's exile. Well, this story has a lot to do with David's exile because it's going to tell you some things about the person who's out to get David and what's going to happen to him. Plus, it also tells you what's going to happen with David and Ictish and something that's going to happen that's very dramatic. So let's talk about the very first part. So in verse 1 of chapter 28, the Philistines gathered their armies to make war against Israel. The Philistines gathered their armies. Now remember, there were five cities of Philistia. There were five Philistine cities, each with their own king or lord. And so they basically decided that it was time to go make war. So they gathered a huge army a huge army to go fight Israel. Now that would present, I'll be honest with you, a dilemma for David because he's a Jew. He is an Israelite. And these are his people. And his benefactor is now going to take part in a war going against Israel. So Ictish informed David that he would accompany him in battle against Israel. So the king tells David, hey David, you're one of my best warriors around here. You're going to go with me into battle when we battle Israel. Now, this would be a natural thing. He's not trying to trick David here. This would be a natural thing for the king to ask him because, remember now, the king believes David's been raiding Israel anyhow. He believes that David has been going and devastating cities throughout Judah and he would see this as a natural thing to ask. I think it's interesting. David kind of gives a non-answer here. David stated that the king knew what his servant can do, and Ictish promoted him. What? What is he saying? Look at what he says. He's saying, he's not saying yes or no. He's basically saying to the king, you know what I can do. And so Ictish promoted him to his personal bodyguard. So David's answer isn't a commitment. 
But he has to give an answer that's satisfactory to the king because he's living in exile in Philistia. So that's verse 2. So now the writer turns his attention back to Saul. And it's not going to be pretty, folks. In fact, what we're going to look at today has actually caused some people to have some questions about some things. We'll look at those questions as we go along with the passage. So let's talk about it. When we get to verse 2, the writer once again points out that Samuel is dead and Israel mourned for him. Samuel was dead and Israel mourned for him. Now, why does he need to point that out? Well, it's very important to understand that Samuel's dead because Saul needs some help. We're going to see that here next. Saul had also, the text is going to tell us, that Saul had also put out all the mediums and spiritists out of Israel. Basically, in accordance with the law, these things were forbidden by death. Saul made sure all the mediums and spiritists were out of Israel. Now, what are mediums and spiritists? Well, those are the people who would do seances to bring up the dead. Those are the people who would read your cards or read your palm. We have those in our society. And Saul made sure to put all of those out of Israel. So the, the, the writer is wanting to make sure you understand two things up to this point. Number one, that Samuel's dead, the prophet is dead, Israel's lamenting for him, and that Saul also at this point had put out all the mediums and spiritists out of Israel. Now, the writer then goes on to talk about Paul, Saul's reaction when he sees the Philistine army. So when Saul saw the size of the Philistine army gathered against him, he was very afraid. Now, just just stop for a moment. I want you to think about this in the past. When we've read before up to this point, we haven't seen this in Saul where he has been fearful of taking on the Philistines. We've not seen him being fearful in going against any enemy. In fact, he's fought the Philistines before. In fact, the record tells us that he fought the Philistines the whole time and regained territory. But here we are at a point where Saul sees this great army and the text kind of tells you in no uncertain terms that he's very, very afraid, very distressed by what he sees. So what does Saul do? Well, when Saul tried to consult the Lord, the Lord would not respond to him. So Saul tries the traditional methods of trying to get in touch with the Lord, either through the priests, whatever priests are left now, because remember, he's killed them. The, they're talking about the Urim and Theorem, which is kind of like some lots or something that were kept in the breastplate of the high priest's garment the, the, that, that he wore. He also tried... Maybe he'd see if there was a prophet, another prophet. And of course, there would be a class of prophets in Israel at this time. Samuel wasn't the only prophet, but there was no word from any prophet for him. So he tried to consult the Lord in whatever way he knew how, and God would not respond to him. God was 
just basically quiet, didn't say anything to him. So this would only add to Saul's fear, because he really doesn't know what to do. Before he has been told what to do when there was a major battle, the prophet would come and tell him what he would need to do, and he would rest in the battle plan that God gave him. There's no information like that this time around. And so he is really, really in a bad place. So bad that because he was not getting, Saul was not getting no direction from the Lord, he sought a medium. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you really think about this, this is wild. This is called getting down to the bottom of your depravity here. Before this, he was zealous for the Lord to the point that he got rid of all the mediums and spiritists in the land in accordance with the law. But now when he gets no answer from God, he's looking for some kind of answer. I hate to say it that nothing's changed in several thousand years. You and I are the same way. We don't get an answer from God. We go looking somewhere else. And Saul asks for a medium. He wants somebody to give him direction to find out what he's supposed to do. So his servants pointed out that there was a medium in Endor. His servants pointed out that there was a medium in Endor. Sometimes she's referred to as the witch of Endor in our Christian circles. In fact, maybe you're, it's, basically says that in your text, in the title or something, the witch of Endor. A medium, it doesn't say for sure that she was a witch, although we wouldn't be surprised by that. But there was a servant that pointed out that there was a medium in Endor. So here's what the text goes, and it gets bad from this point on, folks. It doesn't get any better. Saul disguised himself and went to the woman by night with two men. Saul disguised himself. He put on other clothes. He probably set aside his kingly stuff and put on common clothes, maybe, maybe something to cover up his face. I don't know. And he went with two men, probably for protection, uh, to the woman by night. Wow. It's quite amazing, isn't it? He then, when he comes to the woman, he asks the woman to conduct a seance for him and bring up the one he wants. So she's like, okay, what can I do for you while you guys are here? And he says, you know, uh, I'd like for you to do perform a seance and bring up the person that I want. Which, if she's a medium, she's used to being asked that question. She's used to being asked that question. But... She's cautious because, remember, these are different times now for her with her trade. Because the text already points out earlier that Saul had already put out all the mediums and spiritists in the land. I can almost guarantee you that some of them ended up being killed because that's what the law called for. So the woman stated that Saul has cut off the mediums from the land and she feared a trap. So she basically points out to Saul, who she knows doesn't think is Saul, is not aware that it's Saul. She's like, well, you know, you're asking me to do something that's wrong. 
Do you not remember, do you not realize that Saul has cut off all of the mediums from the land? And I think you're trying to trap me into something here and put my life in danger. Put my life in danger. So Saul swore that no punishment would come on her and asked her to bring up Samuel. Isn't that interesting? He says, look, you're not going to get punished, but here's the guy I want you to bring up. I want you to bring up Samuel. Now, this tells you a lot about Saul. He's not just wanting direction from anywhere with this medium. He's wanting direction from the Lord, and because the Lord's not speaking to him, the next best thing in his mind that always used to be true in his life was Samuel. So he wants Samuel to be brought up. He wants Samuel to be brought up. Now this is where things get a little confusing for people, is what happens in the verses after this. Because you and I exist in a world where, in a Christian world, where we believe several things. We believe from Scripture that mediums don't bring up the dead. Nobody can bring up the dead except the Lord. And the dead can't come back. But what happens following this has raised some questions with some people as, was this woman able to do this? Well, I'm going to explain that to you as we go along here. Okay? Now, I would encourage you, if you are concerned about the whole issue of some the dead coming back, uh, being raised up and coming back and things like that, you need to listen to one of the Finding Clarity podcasts that I did. Uh, if you just simply go to the website under Finding Clarity Podcast, it's been in within the last year that I've addressed this issue, and you can listen to it where I tell you from the Scripture why it's not possible for anyone to come back from the dead unless the Lord brings them back from the dead. Okay? So let's go on. So here she goes. She begins with her seance. And the woman cried out when she saw Samuel, and she confronted Saul about his deception. The woman cried out when she saw Samuel and confronted Saul and said, you're Saul. Look at what it says here. So, verse 12 in chapter 28. When the woman saw Samuel, the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. All right, so let me just go ahead and tell you right off the bat. This was not what the woman was expecting. She was not expecting Samuel. And when Samuel actually showed up, she knew this has to be, this is Saul. Because what she's used to dealing with is maybe some other kind of spirit, which would probably be a demonic spirit. But what she's dealing with now is she sees Samuel. And you say, how would she know who Samuel is? Well, remember, he's been judging Israel for years. He's prominent. She would have seen him at some point. She knows who he is. And so when she sees them, it's not because she brought them up. It's because Samuel appears. The Lord allows him to appear. And she confronts Saul about his deception. And so Saul, it's interesting... Saul asks her, 
asked who she saw, and she stated an old man coming up who was covered with a mantle. Mantle or a shawl, basically a covering over himself. And so it's like, who did you see? I saw an old man coming up and he was covered with a mantle. What she says is enough for Saul to realize that it's Samuel. Because notice what he does next. When Saul perceived that it was Samuel, he stooped and bowed to the ground. This is the king now. Remember this. And when he perceives that this is Samuel who has been brought up by someone, it's not from the woman, but by the Lord, he stooped down and bowed to the ground. So then what we have is a very interesting interaction. Someone who is dead interacting with the living, and it's only because of the Lord. Samuel asked Saul why he had disturbed him by bringing him up. Why he had disturbed him by bringing him up. So Samuel's saying, Saul, why, why am I here? Why did you bring me here? So then you see what's going on here. Saul stated that he was distressed by the Philistines and that God has departed him. Isn't that interesting? Now Saul realizes that God's not there when he's in the midst of the crisis, when he's facing the biggest challenge of his life, this huge Philistine army that's coming for him, that's coming to defeat Israel, he realizes at this point that God has departed from him. And it's interesting, he's not realized that before. Out of nowhere, we've seen that the text says that the Lord, the Spirit, departed from Saul. But... Saul doesn't realize that until now, until the point when he realizes God's not answering him anymore. And so now when he sees this huge Philistine army, he's like, oh my goodness, what do I do? God, what do I do? God's not answering him. God's departed from him. I need an answer. So he's basically saying to Samuel, I need direction. I need direction. And so Here's what the text says. Saul wanted Samuel to reveal to him what he should do. Saul really doesn't know what to do, and he wants Samuel to tell him, because that's what Samuel's done before in his life. Samuel has told him what to do. Now, this is where, when you read what Samuel says, that you realize that this is from God. This is not from a demon or another spirit. I had somebody once ask me if this was a lying spirit. No, this is not a lying spirit. Because what happens here is really prophetic and a confirmation of what God has already said and basically telling Saul, what's going to happen. So let's take a look. Samuel stated that the Lord had become Saul's enemy and that the kingdom was given to another. Wow. All right, so we've already heard where Saul before has been told that God has ripped the kingdom from him and given it to a neighbor of his, okay? We already know that part. But I think it's really drastic when you read that 
Saul has become God's enemy. He has become an, an enemy to God. Somebody that God is out to deal with. That's, that's a terrible pronunciation right there. It's no longer that he's God's chosen, God's anointed, God's friend. It's you're an enemy to God. Wow. And basically, he, Samuel tells Saul why this is happening. This was happening because Saul disobeyed the Lord. Saul, this is because you didn't do what I told you to do in killing the Amalekites. You didn't do this. So therefore, all of this is happening to you because you would not be obedient. Wow. See, there are consequences, aren't they? Because listen, folks, that incident with the Amalekites happened years before this. Years before this. But the consequences continue to last. And they're lasting until now. And then comes really the most shocking news. Samuel tells Saul, the Lord will deliver Israel to the Philistines and tomorrow Saul and his sons will be dead. Basically, he says in the text here, tomorrow you will join me. What is that? Join him in heaven? Some people say in heaven. Is that what he's talking about? No. Join him in death. You will join me in death. So basically he's telling Saul, Saul, it's not going to be good. The outcome is Israel's going to be defeated to the Philistines and you and your sons will be killed. Wow. Now, the last part, the last few verses of chapter 28 show you the response of Saul. So Saul responded by falling fully on the ground. Before he kind of stooped down and bowed to the ground. At this point, because of the news, he just falls on the ground. Because of what Samuel told him. When he hears the news of his death and the death of his sons and the defeat of Israel to the hands of the Philistines, he just falls out flat. He just falls. It's just too much for him. So the men and the medium tried to get Saul to eat as the woman prepared food. In fact, it's an interesting interaction there. The woman wants to make sure she's not going to die for bringing up someone from the dead because that was forbidden by Saul. And here's Saul asking it. She wants to make sure she's going to be alive when she figures she's alive. She's trying to get Saul something to eat. His men are trying to get him something to eat. And she goes and kills an animal and prepares it, prepares a meal for them, and they get Saul to eat something. Basically, he's lost his appetite, folks. I wonder why. And then the text goes on, and it ends with this, that after Saul had eaten, he and the men went away that night. After Saul had eaten, he and the men went away that night. Wow. Quite a lesson, isn't it? David's exile. Now, next week, we're going to get into chapter 29, chapter 30, through the end of 1 Samuel. We're also going to look in 1 Chronicles because we're going to talk about the death of Saul. 
But we're not done with David yet, because David doesn't enter into this battle. We're going to see how he gets out of it, why he gets out of it. But it's not all rosy for David either. David actually has a dilemma in Ziglag that he has to deal with. And so we're going to look at all of that next week when we get into chapter 14.